This is a kick in the grass with Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Manchester City finally win at Anfield, and it's now their title to lose. Jonathan David continues to score. Toronto FC's Liam Frazier will join us. Welcome into a kick in the grass. It is Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair here with you across the Sportsnet Radio Network and, of course, on podcast as well. Jeff, what's going on? Hey, man, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, we finally, like, it was another uh, terrible half of football between Manchester City and Liverpool. I was lamenting that uh, my favorite part of the first half was Peter Drury saying uh, in the 35th minute, Liverpool are finally starting to play some football here. <laughs> it was not an especially impressive first half, uh, but uh, part of me now believes that that was probably Pep Guardiola's plan all along. Let's face it. I mean, the race is the race is done and dusted. Uh, it, it's over. I don't see anybody catching City. I don't see City getting worse. The only thing that can happen is City gets healthier as this thing goes on. And you know, I think now, if this thing continues to progress the way it's progressed, we're going to have to look back at this and wonder where we would rank it among Pep Guardiola's uh, great managing jobs. Basically, no striker for much of the year. Doesn't have Kevin De Bruyne, uh, who until this run I would have suggested was the most irreplaceable player on Man City. And, you know, look, he's it took him a while, but and maybe part of this was his hand being forced, but he's found a spot for Phil Foden. Um, he's, you know, made a couple of tactical switches with Cancelo, getting him more into the midfield. It's just been a really smart job by Pep Guardiola. You know, I I know we talked about it uh, over last season when they crashed out in the Champions League, that loss to, to Lyon, and we're, we were all like, you know, is Pep ever going to win his Champions League? And is his Manchester City job, uh, you know, kind of left unfinished if he doesn't get that one trophy? But here we are, and he's deserving this praise, and they've overcome a lot of their demons with just that one match. You know, I know Anfield has kind of been their bugaboo, their kryptonite, especially over the last couple of years where they've really been battling with Liverpool for tops of the table. But yesterday's match was really City saying, yeah, we're still here, and Liverpool being like, this ain't our year. And I think Pep's consistency in the league is something certainly I underrated uh, towards the end of last season. Well, yeah, you know, and, and I think Pep is, um, how would you describe it? Of all the top managers in the Premier League, probably at least in terms of his media, you know, how he's viewed in the media, especially the electronic media, maybe the least expansive, the most reserved. Certainly he's not as emotional as Jurgen Klopp, you know, and then you can go down and, you know, you look at Ole, you look at Jose Mourinho. He's just different than all of them. And I think there is, as a result of that, a tendency to not give him as much credit as he's due because I really don't get the sense that he feels, I just don't think it's, it's a part of his being. I don't think it's a part of what he feels he needs, you know, in order to, to feel fulfilled. They're such a tough team. And getting Ruben Diaz this year was, uh, I mean, has there been a better non-Bruno signing in the past two seasons. I don't know. He has done 
for City exactly what Virgil van Dyke did for Liverpool. And he's also managed somehow to turn John Stones into somebody who is now back, I would think, in contention for England. And it's the other thing I like about what Pep's done. Look at the guys he's rehabilitated along the way. Uh, it really has been a, a terrific performance by Man City. We kind of like hold Pep up to this uh, unachievable kind of mantle after, you know, the way his managerial career started at Barcelona and those great teams that they had, the treble that he won. Um, you know, he goes to Bayern after that. Impossible to kind of live up to the hype there if you don't win a Champions League after taking over for Jum Pankis, who won his own treble just before Pep showed up. You know, it, it's forever like we created... Uh, Pep to be the best manager on the planet and we're always holding him up to that standard and if the team doesn't win a treble it's like it's it's almost a failure for him but you know that that also goes part and parcel with the teams that he's taken over and how much money they spend and what they look like in the league and all of that but I think with this part that has really impressed me the most with Manchester City is the injuries that they've had and most importantly Kevin De Bruyne who you know, has kind of been, uh, he has been their talisman for the last number of years. It almost felt like earlier in the season, Jeff, the team forced too much to go through De Bruyne. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, you can see them playing a little bit more of that free flowing. They're a more cohesive unit. Maybe I'm galaxy braining this right now and trying to figure out how Manchester City has, has come to be top of the table. And by pretty much a country mile, five points, and they do have a game in hand on Manchester United, so it could be all the way up to eight. Am I thinking too much about this, that City has actually benefited from not having Kevin De Bruyne? Well, I mean, they've played well without him, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, you know, I look back to the match a couple of matches ago where Raheem Sterling was moved into the striker's role, and that seemed to, I don't know if that sent a message throughout the team, but it seemed to sort of encapsulate what this Manchester City team is all about. We will do whatever we need to do in order to win. And I think what really stands out about Man City this year, you know, through the pandemic and everything, is they have been the most consistent of the big clubs in the Prem. Everybody else has kind of had their ups and downs. Everybody else has had an opportunity. They've let opportunities slip through their hands. You know, Manchester United let opportunities slip through their hands. Tottenham has let opportunities slip through their hands. Chelsea, we'll see about Chelsea. But a lot of teams that have had a chance of taking a run at Liverpool have kind of punted on it. And, you know, along comes Guardiola. And, and your point is really well made. Look at the jobs this guy has taken over. You look at the teams this guy has moved to. But he is not a bottom feeder. And I understand people will say, well, you're, you're coaching teams with a lot of money, teams in most cases with an established culture. And in the case of Bayern, a team that you know, rolls out of bed and wins the Bundesliga, Bundesliga title every year. But it still requires something to maintain that level of excellence. And it's one of the things I've always liked about Pep. There's a challenge that comes with assuming a big club, the biggest clubs in the world, that is difficult to match. It's not like Jose taking over Tottenham. Uh, you know, it, it's a completely different level than that. It is a kick in the grass. Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair. Uh, we've got the Flagstaff kid on Twitter uh, says this title race is done like dinner. You could see it in Pep's and Klopp's eyes. Pep has steely eyes and Klopp 
was foregone concerned. Sport at the highest levels are measured by inches. And Graham saying, I wish you wouldn't have posted this, Blair, after I thought about it. You're probably right, though. It's over. United are down five points, and City does have that game in hand. Um, I know it seemed like a very tight race for a long time, Jeff, but um, after United's draw this weekend, it doesn't seem like um, this City team they can kind of cruise to the title now. And I just don't see any team mounting a challenge. Liverpool, after this loss, their concern is, you know, holding off Tottenham and Everton and and some of these other squads for top four, Chelsea as well. Yeah, and Liverpool, they've played a lot of football. Uh, Their style of play, I think, beyond not having Van Dyke and Gomez, their style of play extracts a, a real wear and tear in them physically. And I have to say this, I really think we're overlooking the injury to Diego Jota. Uh, he gave them something in attack, the way he moved, the way he found spaces. He gave them something in attack that as good as Mane and Salah and Firmino are, it was almost like a changeup for that particular club. And I think at some point when we look back at this year, we are going to look at that injury and say, that was the thing that I think was the final sort of nail in the coffin for Liverpool. They needed that guy who hadn't gone through all the wars Liverpool had gone through. And, you know, Jota was rested when he came over. He was, uh, you know, playing in a system that gave him a little more creativity, gave him a little more freedom. And as I said, I think when we look back, yeah, Van Dyke's a big blow to this team, no doubt about it. But I would not underestimate the loss of Diego Jota. There's a reason that a team like Liverpool that doesn't generally spend big in season went after him the way they did. Yeah. And I'm really kind of disappointed uh, with Thiago Alcantara, who just hasn't really played the way that I expected him to when Liverpool did sign him. I thought he was going to be brilliant for them, really solidify their midfield. But because of the injury to Van Dyke, it has changed so much about what this team does. And then they lose Joe Gomez as well. You know, you can hammer Liverpool all you want. And I know some people have been over the last 24 hours or so, but any big team loses their top two choice center backs in Virgil van Dyke and Joe Gomez, you're going to struggle. And they papered over the cracks for a while, but it just doesn't work. They lose a lot in midfield when Fabinho isn't playing there. They don't have the same cover for Robertson and Alexander Arnold when Virgil van Dijk isn't there. I mean, Mm -hmm. they just, they just look like and feel like they've lost the, the spine of their team. And I think you felt that as, you know, they tie the game yesterday. Normally you see, uh, Liverpool would push on, but, you know, Manchester City are ready to blow back. They just kind of feels like they lost their heart and soul on the field a little bit. Yeah, there were guys who were who were moved out of position because of the injuries. Uh, you know, in particular, I think Fabinho, you know, Jordan Henderson for a while. I think it's more than anything else, this is a reflection. And maybe this kind of reminds us just how how special Liverpool were last year. It's a reflection of a real lack of depth. And as you mentioned, a real lack of cover in this team. I mean, there's a reason Andrew Robertson has basically played every minute of every match. Now, he's good, obviously, but there's a reason that he's out there all the time. And I think that's the other thing. When you look at Man City and Liverpool, you look at the depth of the squad. You look at Pep. You know, Pep's had to make a couple of changes as the season went on. I would be hesitant to really crack on Liverpool 
because I think what they've done, what they did last year was remarkable. Again, considering the fact that they're not the deepest. They're not the deepest squad out there. It's uh, It's been a tough year for Liverpool, and now they uh, they battle for top four. So the other team in Manchester, the red side of Manchester, Jeff, uh, just to give uh, our listeners a peek behind the curtain, as that match was going on over the weekend, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin ties it at the death, you're yelling about David De Gea in our group chat. It's um, It's kind of become a common theme, but I wonder, you know, as much as we've talked about center back and maybe uh, kind of a number six in midfield, what does Manchester United need to take that next step? I'm coming around to where you've been for a while, Jeff. They need help in between the post. I think it's time to go to Dean Henderson. Now, having said that, let's see what happens in the FA Cup. But uh, I think it's time to give him a run out. Um, you know, David De Gea, he's not as good as he was. There's no other way to put it. Uh, for whatever reason, he does not exude an air of confidence. And half the time, you almost get the impression he's surprised when he makes a save. Again, it's uh, probably at this point in the season, a good time to let Dean Henderson have a run out and see what you have and see if that does make any difference. Uh, you know, Harry Maguire and Victor, look, I've pounded him Victor Lindelof more than I have in David De Gea. I don't think you can be a championship team in the Premier League with those two players sort of as as your defensive spine. Harry Maguire's fine if you got somebody else who's better than Harry Maguire. You're in trouble if Harry Maguire is the best part of your defensive pairing. But um, having said that, I think you watch Manchester United play and you do get the sense that there's not a lot of confidence in De Gea. And maybe, again, I, I you know haven't seen a great deal of Dean Henderson, but maybe he'll give them a little more confidence in the back and, uh, you know, and, and maybe solidify things that way. But, you know, we've had this discussion for two years now. At the end of the day, Manchester United's weaknesses are the same weaknesses they had last year. They're the same weaknesses they had the year before. They're the same weaknesses they had the season before that. It's at least three managers now, maybe four managers. You can't paper it over. Bottom line, I'm not entirely certain at this point that, Dean Henderson wins matches for you, but at least I'd give him a go. I'd give him a look. Uh, it's going to be a very uh, interesting next couple of weeks. Uh, Manchester City, their upcoming matchups, Tottenham, Everton, and Arsenal. And I believe Manchester United have West Brom and Newcastle upcoming. So there is going to be a chance uh, at, at City dropping points and United may be catching a little bit these next couple of weeks are big uh, in the title fronts or it could just solidify that city are top now we take a look elsewhere and we did get a few messages on twitter at dan Richo underscore and at sn jeff blair send us a dm anytime with a question or a comment for the show in the lead up to our monday recordings it's on jonathan david and mm-hmm. his Lille are top of the table in league uh and he is on fire, one of the hottest players in Europe right now. Another two goals this weekend as his early season struggles are definitely in the rearview mirror, Jeff. He's up to seven goals and two assists in League 1 this season. Uh, I, I guess it was only a matter of time. Jonathan David uh, starting to, to prove his worth as Lille's record signing. Yeah, I think it took him a while to bet in. Uh, I think maybe... A lot of folks underestimated the 
jump that was going to be for him to go from Belgium uh, to go from Belgium to to France. Uh, I think it's taken Lil a while to figure out how to utilize him, how to utilize his pace, uh, and I think they've done that. And he's, you know, at this point in time, really formed a really good partnership with Timothy Weah, the American. You know, think about that. You've got a U.S. <laughs> international and a Canadian international uh, who are sort of leading the charge for Lil. They formed a nice partnership. They they play off each other really well. And watching the match this weekend, if you compare his body language, Jonathan David's body language to when he first started out in the league, you know, you really get the sense that this is a guy who's has kind of figured it out. And this is, you know, this is a team that they haven't had this point total ever, you know, through the club's history. That's a long history. I mean, you've got to go back to like 1949 and 50 where they were even close to this point tally. And they're full value for it. They're not surprising anybody anymore. Now, can they keep it up over the long haul? I don't know. But to be where they are right now and to be led by those two, those two young players is, uh, is a pretty remarkable achievement. Yeah, it's, um, it's exciting. And, you know, we talk about Liga and, uh, you know, as, uh, as it went viral last year, the Farmers League or whatever. is no, they as call PSG it the League made. of Talents now. Haven't you seen the ad? The League of Talents. Yes. And and rightfully so, man. Like, Lille has been incredible. And I can't wait for them to play PSG. And maybe, you know, I, I was looking at the schedule. That's coming up in April. And uh, hopefully the title race uh, is still on hand at that point. And, you know, Lille may have the chance to pull this off. And that's incredible. You know, I know... There's a lot going on in France right now, and a lot of these clubs are under very, very tight financial restraints. But what a story it would be if Lille is able to pull this off. And not only that, but with a Canadian bagging a lot of the goals. Five in the last five for Jonathan David. And given the year that it's about to be for Team Canada, kind of a big deal that uh, that Jonathan David is back amongst the goals this year. I now, guess I was going to say, Danny, the yep. flip side to that, though, is this is I have never seen a group of American born players as good as this group. The flip side. Yeah, it's great. Jonathan David and Alfonso mm-hmm. Davies. But my God, every weekend there's another 22 year old American player doing something or 23 year old American player doing something. Um, CONCACAF's really got it going on right now compared to where it used to be. You know, you've got a CONCACAF team in the final of the Club World Cup. That generally doesn't happen. So it says a lot about the level of soccer on this continent. Look, I'm not taking anything away from Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies. I think we're all excited to see the, the international fixture list, you know, get going. But I just, I would caution people that uh, as good as our young players are, the Americans have that multiplied by four and they may not have anybody as transcendent right now as Alfonso Davies. But if you take the 10 best players from Canada and the U S and put them together, 10 best young players, number one would be Davies two through nine would probably be Americans or sorry, two through 10 would be Americans. Yeah. 
I don't know, because I, I think David is in that conversation, at least. It's a tough one with the U.S. Uh, I look at them, and I think they are trending very well towards really competing at uh, at the 2026 World Cup. Like, I just don't know how many other nations have this much young talent. Of course, there's a ton uh, in Europe, but that's kind of what the U.S. is comparing their young talent to now is some of the best nations in Europe. And it's deep, man. Like, it's really really deep it finally feels like a lot of the the work mls has done for the last 25 years is starting to show through you see guys like reynolds uh, aaron long almost made a move to liverpool over the january transfer window from the new york red bull but they're everywhere you're right you know like i didn't know what to expect i, I know weston mckinney was at schalke last year but watching him closer this year playing for juventus man that guy's an incredible player uh and is going to help dominate midfield matches uh, for the U.S. for many, many years to come. You know, last year it was, especially in the second half, it was looking at Christian Pulisic, and, and that guy is just like, he's one of a, a line now of really, really talented American players. So, yeah, uh, different expectations for both of the team. You know, this year for Canada, it's, uh, hey, can can you make it to the, uh, it's not the hex anymore, it's the octagonal, right? We caught the octo. Is that what we got to call it now? I don't it know. Now? It's the octahexagonal or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> I don't know. But that's the goal for Canada now, uh, whereas the U.S. is starting to look at, I know they missed the last World Cup, but um, don't think that's going to happen uh, for a while with the current crop of young players that they've got going on. Now, finally, we're going to talk to to Liam Frazier. We'll get his take on uh, the year for Canada soccer ahead as well. He was just in the Canada camp through this January. But uh, final thing. Dortmund, another loss this weekend, Jeff, and they are now four points back of fourth spot in the Bundesliga. Uh, They are on 32 points in sixth place, and they've lost three of their last four matches. For a team with Jadon Sancho and Erling Haaland, Missing the Champions League uh, could be catastrophic for their ability to keep those young players around. Oh, I would argue that of the, you know, if you want to call them the biggest clubs in Europe or the most fancied clubs in Europe, however you want to describe it, Champions League football is probably bigger for Dortmund than just about any other club in that category. They sort of pride themselves as, as the plucky underdogs punching above their weight, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. But... The fact of the matter is making the Champions League and having a certain degree of success in the Champions League and in their domestic league is important for them financially. I mean, you're already seeing now, and I'll, I'll use Jaden Sancho as an example, you're already seeing the valuations for Jaden Sancho coming back to earth. Think about what Manchester United was ready to pony up for this guy two seasons ago. You're not going to need to spend that much to get him after this year. That's the worst thing about Dortmund is they've had this kind of confluence of really bad events. The pandemic and the economic dislocation it's created. They fired Lucien Favre, and I think a lot of folks thought, okay, that was a necessary first step. They haven't improved since he's been gone. And their young players, the valuation is starting to come down in some of them. That's like a bunch of worst-case scenarios sort of circling over this team that for so long has relied on taking its young players and moving them on and taking those resources and funneling it back in the system. If that flow of revenue stops, it's not going to take long for this team to, 
I mean, they'll never go back to the way they were when they were bankrupt. I don't think things will ever get that bad. But Dortmund is exactly the type of team that could take three or four years to get back into the top four if things don't go their way. Again, I think they made a huge, huge miscalculation with Jaden Sancho. I really do. I think they were too cute by half. Um, I would have taken Manchester United's money. I'll just ask you, you look at this team right now, they could be where they are without Jaden Sancho and have an extra 90 million euros in their pocket. Just a badly run club for the past three seasons. Yeah, and and I think a lot of this um, comes down to, you kind of knew that Lucien Favre and his time was up. You kind of knew at the end of last year. It certainly felt that way. They stuck with it and it's really blown up in their face rather than, you know, going out, finding the guy that might be able to to right this ship and really challenge against Bayern for this year or keep, you know, just bring in some new ideas. And you didn't do that. And now you're kind of stuck. You have an interim manager that's not working out either. And they're a team that depends on Erling Haaland to make that difference. Mm. Sancho has been better lately, but certainly isn't what he was last year or the last couple of seasons as you know they were asking for 120 million quid for him that number I don't think is ever going to happen now given the financial situation we are in even if he does start to bring his game around and it's hard because I just don't know like it's not a lack of talent it's more just a, a lack of cohesion and and poor coaching that is bringing this team down right now and it's not a a mountain to climb to get to you know, to make up the four points in the table, but it feels that way sometimes with the way that they play and the individualistic style that they've kind of taken on uh, over the last little while and this season. It's Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair coming up on a kick in the grass. He's been looked at as the future of Toronto FC's midfield. Is Liam Frazier ready to take that next step? The hometown kid playing for Toronto FC, from Toronto is next here on a kick in the grass back in on a kick in the grass it is Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair MLS has uh, settled their collective bargaining agreement and are ready to begin a 2021 season what that looks like is uh, still a little bit up in the air given everything that is going on but now joining us, uh, a player that's really the future of Toronto FC's midfield. At least he's looked at it that way. Liam Fraser joining us now on A Kick in the Grass. Thanks for this, Liam. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to, to talk to you guys. Yeah, you're, you've been in the news. Like For those that follow Toronto FC for a while, you, you've been that name. As uh, There's long been a lot of... Um, you know, kind of viewed as as the future of Toronto FC's midfield as as a hometown kid, it's got to be pretty cool to to try and live up to that expectation. Yeah, without a doubt, I think um, with that expectation, I, I want to say a bit of pressure comes, which is something that I, I love and I, and I really thrive under. But also, it's, it's an honor to be able to play for your hometown and be able to represent yourself, your family, in the city you grew up, in the city you're from, and kind of just to have that support from local fans and obviously from my family, uh, since they're all here, it means kind of twice as much. So it's it's really cool, um, but also you, you have to know that at the end of the day, it's a business, it's a job, you're meant to win, and that is the bottom line of it. Liam, for somebody who is at 
the stage of their career you're at right now. Can you tell us what the last year has been like, like what this pandemic season has been like? Yeah. Um, at the, obviously, at the start of the year, we we started uh, full throttle. Um, we had our first two games, one against San Jose and one against New York, and that's kind of when we hit the standstill. Our initial hearing to everything was when we heard that the NBA obviously stopped and, and we were kind of to – to, to follow right after um, and then ever since then it was kind of just playing catch up with what do we do now where do we go now where will we relocate uh, we're one of very few teams in the MLS so only a couple other Canadian teams had to relocate like we did so it was a lot of playing catch up and a lot of time away from your family and a lot of time just trying to go every minute and find new things uh, to do to keep active but at the end of the day, it's what we had to do to play that past season, and we got it done. So hopefully there's a bit of a bright side this season, and we can see what happens. But we we just haven't heard too much about it yet. For a young player uh, at the development stage that, that you are in and, and really trying to, um, you know, be a, a permanent fixture in the, in the first team and regular, uh, you know, regular appearances and all of that, it's, it's kind of been topsy-turvy, but how do you feel your you know career has has kind of come along here, and where do you feel your game is at looking ahead to the next season? Yeah, you know what it's uh, you always try to take some of the positives out from the previous years and and try to just fixate on what you can build on because essentially that's gonna make you the best player that you can be as of now i I think there's definitely a lot of aspects in my game that i that can improve in order to be the player that uh, I need to be for Toronto FC and for myself for, for the next few years. What's something I hope to clamp down on is is just that starting role and to really have a uh, a big opportunity to be a leader on this team and and really push forward to help this team win more trophies. Because at the end of the day, that's that that is what it's all about to win games, win trophies, and kind of bring that recognition to the city that it deserves. Liam, uh, Toronto FC, of course, has changed uh, managers. Greg Vanny is gone. Chris Armas is in. I'm wondering if you've had a chance to talk to Chris yet. And from your point of view, does uh, having a new manager in here present an opportunity for you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I have had the opportunity to speak to Chris on the phone um, uh, briefly. Just from that, you right away get the feeling of he's going to bring a lot of energy to the team. He's going to bring a lot of passion to the team, a very hard-working and professional culture that he'll bring. So I, I know all the guys, including myself, are, are, are really, really excited for that. Um, in terms of having a switch of managers, yeah, listen, I, I think I, I think in any sport, in, in any occupation, uh, change is good. It doesn't have to be a huge change, but at the end of the day, I, I always do think that a bit of change is good because it can shake things up. It can, it can change the atmosphere of the room and, and definitely the environment that you're in. So for me, I'm excited for it. And I think in any job and in any sports or profession, I think that change brings a good atmosphere and can really give guys a bit of shakeup to want to push further and work harder. Liam, you grew up in Toronto FC's academy. Uh, you've come through Toronto FC too, and now uh, you're you're with the first team. Um, over the last couple of years, uh, we know Greg Vanny, you know, he started as the Academy director with TFC and has, you know, really made a, a, an emphasis and put an emphasis on the Academy with this club. Um, what did Greg mean to the early parts of your career? Yeah, well, he gave me my first start. He gave me my uh, my first contract, and he was there from the start. I remember when he initially came to the club, and he, like you said, his emphasis was pushing players through the academy to the first team. So for him to kind of 
uh, leave the legacy that he did on the club in, in winning ways in great fashion. I'm really happy for him that he left on his terms. But for me, like I said, he gave my first start, my first contract. So I'll, I'll always be thankful for him and, and what he and his coaching staff have, have brought to my game. Liam, I know that a foot injury kept you out of the national team camp. Um, first, tell us how is the, the state of the injury and how is the rehab going? And this is a pretty, this looks like it's going to be a pretty big year for the Canadian men's team. We know CONCACAF uh, has changed some rules. Uh, there's an extra Champions League spot available. It really seems as if soccer is going through a period of growth in the country right now. And I'm just wondering where your mind is as we hopefully look forward to the reopening of the international calendar. Yeah, uh, no, my rehab's going really good and I'm, I'm excited to kind of get back going and in full throttle and, and participate with the team and, and with everyone to get myself back to 100%. In terms of my mind, we're revved up, we're ready to go. I think uh, we can all agree that our off season was a bit too long. Um, and that's not something that you want in pro sports. So we're all really, really excited to go and, and, and waiting a bit to see what and kind of where we go next. But as of now, like I said, I'm excited to get going. And I, I think I can speak for all the guys to say that this is definitely a big year for all of us and, and we all want to make a statement. Liam Fraser, our guest here on a kick in the grass. We talked to John Herdman a couple of weeks ago. You know, there's going to be a ton of matches. You have the Gold Cup as well. He's going to have to to use a large pool of players. I mean, for you, you know, this is a big moment in in your career. Um, you're 22 right now, soon to be uh, 23. What are your goals for this upcoming season? Like, where, how do you see yourself progressing now as as you you really try to make that next breakthrough? Yeah, I think there's definitely aspects and technical and tactical parts of my game that I need to work on and. And those are things that that's more staying after training to get that additional individual training in or working with the coach individually to be able to kind of understand what they expect of you. Um, so there's a lot. But I think just in terms of goals is, is I want to be part of I want to be a part of everything I can be, whether that's the um, under 23 men's Olympic qualifying any World Cup qualifying games. With TFC, I want to play a, a, a huge part in any way I can in terms of any games, any any tournaments and anything um so just to be a huge part of club and international football this year is really important to me and i think um i think i can do it um so it'll just be a matter of kind of getting myself back healthy and, and really pushing at it kind of lived in or been michael bradley's shadow for a little while uh, do, do you learn a lot uh from the tfc captain yeah for sure uh mike's the kind of guy where you can you can essentially ask him anything, uh, whether it be about life, about football, about anything, and, and, and he'll give you that honest, that honest answer. Um, so for for me to have someone like him there for me, um, it, 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 it's it's amazing, and it's been so beneficial to me as a as a young player to learn from and and to really take notes off him. Um, I've always said I, I feel like he's one of the one of the best off the field professionals I've ever met just in terms of how he takes care of his body um how he takes care of his uh how he takes care of care of his mind he is just a true professional to learn after and like I said he's been such a benefit for me um to have him here at the club 
Liam, I wanted to ask you about your involvement in the Support Local program. Can you uh, give us some details on that? Because it's you know something that a lot of people are getting involved in, and I think our listeners would be interested in knowing your involvement. Yeah, for sure. At the start of pandemic, I basically just tried to bring eyes to as many small businesses that I could, and I still try to. Um, obviously, I'm a kid from Toronto, and I've made a lot of connections with uh, small business owners, with coffee shops, with clothing stores, with restaurants. And you end up becoming good friends, and you understand how good of people these people are. So for me, it, w- it was more that you don't want to see these amazing entrepreneurs. You don't want to see them go under. Any way to bring some sort of business to them, whether it be online, whether it be curbside, was important to me. And, and hopefully, it made some sort of difference in their uh hopefully in their sales and and just uh, bringing a bit more light to them. Liam Fraser of Toronto FC and uh, Liam Fraser 27 on Instagram. Uh, Thanks for this, Liam. Uh, We'll keep in touch and and all the best to you this season. Perfect. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate that. There is Liam Fraser of Toronto FC joining us in Canadian International as well. Uh, The women's squad is getting ready for the She Believes Cup, another big year for the women's program potentially the Olympics. It's the first look we'll get with Bev Priestman at the helm, and we hope uh, to maybe connect uh, with the women's program over the next week or so, potentially for the next edition of A Kick in the Grass. Coming up, it is injury time, and you're not fit to wear the shirt. It's next on A Kick in the Grass. Final segment here on a kick in the grass. It is Dan Richo and Jeff Blair looking in at our fantasy premier league. And well, we've got another high scorer this week at 74 points, Alex B and the dream team pulling in the top score for game week 23. He had captained Youngman. Hyungman Son and had Dominic Calvert-Lewin along with Ilke Gundawan. So big ups to Alex B and his week this week. Uh, somehow everybody knew that joins the league is climbing over me as I've fallen down to 29th place. You can join as well. PremierLeague.com. Use the code PPIBD6 uh, to join a kick in the grass for fantasy premier league highest score of the week gets a shout out and uh well you get to compete against blair each and every week because uh well beating me is is become all too easy now i got 62 points and i left calvert lewin with 12 on the bench so i would have been i could have been joint high oh, score coulda, shoulda woulda jeff come on get out of here with that mm. you left him on the bench i know <laughs> would have been 74 points you're right though, if my math is correct Anyhow. All right. Injury time here uh, quickly on a kick in the grass as we close out the show. So uh, we've talked a lot about the European Super League. Well, now I guess uh, we're seeing um, how the push is affecting the reform of the Champions League, which is being talked about as it may happen as the uh, new TV contract comes up in 2024. And UEFA is looking to expand it to 36 teams uh, and make it uh, more stable, give more matches. So uh, ergo more money to the top clubs across Europe. Uh, This is how the big clubs get what they want, Jeff. They poke and prod until UEFA succumbs to their influence. 
Yeah, and everybody's going to complain about it. And, you know, you're going to have a bunch of people wish that, you know, football would go back to the way it was back in the 60s and 70s. It's not going to happen. UEFA, UEFA realizes that at the end of the day, this is all about keeping your big clubs happy. That It's that simple. And you can push back a bit. But I do believe that anytime any of these negotiations start, UEFA kind of, they put down two lines in the sand. They have their best case scenario, which is never, ever achieved. And then way in front of that is we'll do whatever it takes to keep the big clubs happy. At this time, you know, what are their alternatives? At this time, UEFA doesn't even, they can't even guarantee. I mean, we think there's going to be a Euro, but nobody knows of the 100% certainty. So it's really important to keep these big clubs happy. And I think it's especially important the more we see these big clubs come under foreign ownership because that trend is going to continue. And the more big clubs come under foreign ownership, I think the more they become susceptible. They, they kind of lose their Europeanness, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. They become part of a, generally they become part of a bigger picture. So I think UEFA doesn't have any choice here. And I'm not, it's not, I don't think it's going to impact my enjoyment of the matches or impact my enjoyment of the Premier League or the Bundesliga or, or any other league. So I'm okay with it. Um, you know, the more football you play, the better as far as I'm concerned. So it's going to 36 teams, a Swiss model league, as they're calling it. Each club will play 10 games, five at home, five away. The fixtures will be based on seedings, and the teams will be ranked from 1 to 36. The top eight will advance automatically to a 16-team knockout round, and the next 16 teams will go into a playoff round to decide those final eight slots. And essentially what it will do, it gives less of a chance of, of an upset for the big clubs that, you know, you miss out on the knockout stage and you feel it next year financially. Uh, there's less of a chance of that in this sort of an iteration. Not guaranteed yet, but this is the way that it looks to be trending towards. Uh, a couple of other big stories around Europe. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, another win for Milan. They remain top of the table in Serie A. His 500th career club goal this hmm. weekend. The Serie A race looks to be the best uh, alongside Ligue 1 in the top five European leagues, the way that uh, La Liga, Bundesliga, and the Premier League are trending. I'm really excited for the way Serie A is going to end this year. Yeah, I think we all are. Uh, but it's an intriguing race with very intriguing teams and teams with, at least I think, uh, an awful lot of personality, which just adds to the flavor of this. Um, I still think your boys will win it. I think they'll be pushed harder than they've been pushed in the past. But I think on balance, they're put it this way, on balance of the clubs that are contending right now, I think, Danny, they're probably the one that has the most potential to get better i think everybody else is playing at a pretty high level and they are what they are i think that juve still got another level to get to and i i, I think we'll see that but it is going to be fun it's certainly not going to be a coronation which is is wonderful i had a bit of an argument with uh, john molinaro this weekend he thought uh juventus played like crap in their 2-0 win over over roma i thought they played pretty well they finally looked like juve to me where you know, they're just willing to do anything to win. And they have their warrior back in the back line and it solidified their defense, Giorgio Chiellini, who's uh, still, to me, one of the best defenders in Europe. And uh, whatever it takes to win. And it, it wasn't always pretty, but the fact that they've solidified their defense, have the best defense in the division now, uh, I think uh, does finally give me a little bit of confidence that uh, Juventus might make some noise 
uh, even in Europe as the Champions League gets back and going next week. And uh, Lionel Messi, super sub for Barcelona, hmm. nets them a sixth straight win. Uh, jumps on in the 57th minute, a goal and an assist, overturns it, and Barca now six straight wins. I think they've won nine of their last 11 matches in La Liga. Uh, they're still a ways off Atletico Madrid, but um, Barcelona looks to to finally be, uh, looks like they're they're humming pretty well under Ronald Koeman. I guess. I, I have to tell you that uh, I've become tired of Barca. I really have. No, I just, I'm tired of everything. It's not that I don't, I like drama around teams. I have no problem with drama around teams at all. But you got to give me drama and on on the pitch and off the pitch at the same time. I just, for the first time in maybe 20 years, I just don't find them that interesting. And I used to spend my weekends, I'd watch a little bit of every one of their matches. I'd be lying if I said I watched every second of every match, but I'd usually stop and watch, see what they're doing, watch a half, watch 20 minutes, 30 minutes. It was great. By that time, I'd see three messy goals, and then I'd move on. I don't even have that viewing interest in them right now. I'm just, I'm tired. I think a lot of people are tired of Barca. I really do. Uh, Yeah, and we'll see, because once they get to the Champions League and they crash out by a a hilariously bad loss to one of the, (laughs) to maybe a Manchester City or something, uh, those questions will will pop back up again. All right, you don't know what you're doing. Uh, the, the best intro in podcast history. I love it. You don't know what you're doing and you're not fit to wear the shirt every week, uh, whatever it may be. If you have an, uh, somebody that you're pointing at for the reason your team lost or didn't get the three points, send us a note at Dan Richo underscore and at SN Jeff Blair on Twitter. Where are you going, Jeff? Oh, well, I mean, you're not fit to wear the shirt. I know everybody wants to dump an Allison. I'm going to give the guy a break. I had a bad match. David De Gea, you are not fit to wear the shirt. That you're, you're not. Your time has come and gone. Window of opportunities come and gone. It's time for Dean Henderson to take over as the Manchester United keeper. And you don't know what you're doing? Mike Dean, you shouldn't have to spend five minutes looking at a replay to decide whether or not it is a red card. First of all, in real time, that wasn't a red card. To, to be so forensic, you know, the, the idea behind VAR is, I don't think it is, let's try to see what we can find to overturn the decision. I think that's the wrong approach. You look at it in slow motion a couple of times, and you make the decision. There has to be a time limit on this. If I had my way, if I had my way, the referee would go over to the monitor, he would have 30 seconds. He would have 30 seconds to either uphold or change the call because you can't tell me when you looked at the replay of, of, of the play with Suchik, you can't tell me that at first glance on replay that you thought it was a red card. The more you looked at it, the more it became a red card. And of course, I, I, I know that they've appealed it. Um, he's had, an, as a matter of fact, he's had another red card. It was overturned already. So there you go. I'm not happy that Mike Dean's received death threats and is asked not to be involved in games this weekend. 
but that was that was abysmal. That was absolutely abysmal. Clear and obvious. Uh, <laughs> it's the one thing VAR was supposed to 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 help. You know, make sure that clear and obvious mistakes were not um, upheld. But um, it doesn't seem like it stayed true uh, to the wording of video assistant refereeing coming into the game. And if anything, it seems like we have more controversial decisions now than we did before VAR came in. I'm going to throw it out to Manchester City players from the spot. Uh, Ilke Gundogan missing. And oh. I mean, wow, what a line of players missing from the spot, especially against Liverpool for Manchester City. Though I do like uh, Pep Guardiola saying, uh, you know what, maybe we'll just go with Ederson next time. I'm pretty sure he could score because uh, they're just at a loss. But hey, they're probably winning the Premier League uh, without Bruno Fernandes on their team. <laughs> uh, and you can't change that. For Jeff Blair, producer Derek Brandeo, this has been another edition of A Kick in the Grass back next Monday on the Sportsnet Radio Network.